You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Tears looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. And welcome back to another episode of Films and Friends. My name is Josh. I am joined in perpetuity with Tobias. Hey, hi. How's it going, guys? And this week we are joined by Pilar. Hello. So uh, how we'd like to start this is just to introduce yourself, what's your occupation, and how do you know either myself or Tobias? Um, well, I am um, Pilar, as Josh said, and I am a student currently studying biotechnology at the University of Manchester. And I know Tobias from... Mainly from Instagram, we met a few times at a few parties, but our friendship really flourished through Instagram, and now it has transferred into real life, which Imagine is very pretty. Of social media, <laughs> it is, it is, yeah, yeah. Basically, we yeah we met first year. Um, I had a large group of uh, Spanish friends when I arrived at uni, and um, yeah, we met at parties there, and then of course we stayed in touch over Instagram, mostly because you were doing your year abroad, yeah, at home <laughs> in Madrid, yeah. Best decision of my life. Best Very smart. But before we go into film talk, not to underplay your degree, but you've you've you were I saw that you've been talking at like conferences and stuff. Like you've presented actual research. Yeah, yeah I have. Yeah, I have. It was very exciting. Um, it was an opportunity I got from the research group I was working in during placement. Um, and my boss was like super like from the beginning he was like oh yeah I want you to like speak at conferences I want you to present posters I want you to like be all in it around it of my project so I was able to speak at a conference in May in front of a bunch of doctors that knew a lot more than me and it was terrifying but it was a learning experience I had fun do you have any sort of interest in films sort of based on like sciencey kind of films at all yes what kind yeah. of sciencey films are you kind of what kind of science films would you say are good science films to get people into that kind of aspect of film? I always say this. Um this there's this one film that we got played in biology which really got me into genetics, which is what I'm super interested in. Can I guess what it was? Yeah. Was it Gattaca? Yeah. Gattaca. Yes. Yeah, gonna be that film. Yeah, I love I loved it. I know I loved I loved the whole basis of it, like genetic engineering of um embryos to like make people better like more resistant to disease like have a lot of stamina be stronger etc 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 and i found it super interesting so that's like one of my top 10 films for like science geeks to yeah. be fair like in terms of like science films most of them are like physics based aren't they yeah. i think stuff like interstellar or something like primer like they're all very sort of physics-y there's actually not that many kind of biology themed films well you say that however i literally wrote an essay about th- partly about this and it was about how zombie films particularly after 9-11 because that was when there was a shift in um western perception of the world so worries weren't so much about um race or um or consumerism they became issues about uh migration and terrorism and pandemics because of swine flu and mad cow disease and i mean now coronavirus um ebola a couple years back malaria has always been an issue so because of this uh, fear of illnesses, zombie films, modern zombie films, are are essentially, at their core, films about the fear of disease. Mm-hmm. Say, 28 Days Later, that is a disease that is found in animals that then transmits to humans. Very topical. So, modern zombie films, those are actually, yeah, uh, bi- World biomed. War World War Z deals with that as well. 
World War Z does, yeah, yeah. yeah. World War Z, World War Z, yep. That's a uh, as well as the whole political um, message of you know the world coming together. If if you replace the zombies with migrants slash terrorists, um, it really becomes bleed different film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if I've really considered that before because obviously when you actually think back to the real like dawn of of dawn of the dead, it's a very obvious yes. pun to make in that situation. But the dawn of zombie films was it was literally um, people rising from the dead. It was uh, people who had died coming back to life again. Yes. Whereas in many ways now in quite a lot of modern zombie films, even like something like Shaun of the Dead. They're, the people never actually die. They just turn into the zombies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, the the original was that fear of, of, of the dead rising up. But it, one of the first zombie films was White Zombie. And it was based in, um, in a plantation in Haiti. And basically this guy uses... He, he finds so zombie films of the past weren't about zombies coming from a disease it was zombies coming from a magical manuscript mm. um it was obviously a form of magic which again then moved on to nazis using zombies as a weapon mm. and basically this guy was a plantation owner and he used it to this zombie power to hypnotize and revive the dead on his island to stop his slaves from rising up against him and also to basically turn a woman into his sex slave slash wife slave mm. yeah. so yeah it's a complete <laughs> origin of zombie films. yeah yeah it's, it's it's really brutal but there's a lot of reading on that um as i had to do for an essay <laughs> but it was good fun so to take it back to you uh pillar what um so why we'd like to start these is for you to just maybe list off some of your favorite films actors genres directors that kind of thing ah i hate when i get asked this question because I th- I've just forgotten every single movie I've seen. Um, well, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Disney. Um, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peele movies. Um, I watched Get Out last year, no, two years ago, and it fascinated me. It got me into kind of like psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, I don't know if it, was, if it was after or later, but I know I rewatched it um, after watching the Jordan Peele movies. Um, I rewatched Babadook, yes. which is like fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, Fantastic. I was terrified, but it's very like I love how they play with the psychological fear, and it makes you like jumpy at every corner. I couldn't sleep for a day. <laughs> um, I don't know what else. Uh, oh. I mean, you've got an extensive list. Here. Yeah, it is but... one of the most impressive lists we've had. Ge- genuinely, yeah, genuinely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really and you've tried. actually covered, yeah, directors, films, genres, tried, uh, actors, yeah. everything, but. Oh, no, the, the, the one I'll, I'll bring up um, is Jumanji. Eh, yeah. Over Christmas, uh, Jumanji was on the telly, and I, I was sitting there um, in the sitting room at my dad's house, and I was watching it, and I was thinking, man, the script for this film is atrocious. Yeah. And it was just kind of... It, it, in the very 90s sense of films, it was all about, look how crazy special effects are. We can make... <laughs> plants grow and look at this bad cgi that makes little monkeys run around everywhere and stuff like that and then it was also about let's just make as many things happen at the same time as possible and for some reason they're all gonna tie into each other like the cop car driving around and then he finds his family in the middle of i don't know but it does have some charm to it and that's why you like it you're saying yeah i feel like now I like it more. I, we rewatched it a couple months ago, I think, because um, one of our friends hadn't seen it. And 
I remember I was watching and I was like, this is a sh- <laughs> Sorry. We'll leave that out with what What should we choose for that? <laughs> elephant yeah, noise? We'll do an elephant noise for one. Elephant noise. Sorry. We'll the um, no, yeah, like it was a terrible movie, but I watched it so many times when I was little. Like it just reminded me of being at my grandma's house with my siblings and my cousins and just playing Jumanji over and over and over again. Like it was. It was scary how many times we've seen that movie. Like I, probably when I was nine years old, I could have said the script word for word. That's that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. But the one I want to ask you about, and it's not on the list. Did you ever see Zathura? Yes, I, I was did. just thinking of that because I couldn't remember. Is that so? Is that a sequel or a prequel or so a remake? Zathura is essentially like a spiritual sequel. Right. There was yeah. Jumanji, Jumanji two. There was a second one, right? Out of the box was or there? something. Yeah, and you might do it out of the box. Yeah, I think maybe. I don't think I've seen that. It might be in a direct VHS one, but there's definitely a sequel. But then Zathura was kind of like a reimagining slash sequel. Uh, yeah, I have, seen, I have seen that yeah. one. This is a very, very dated sort of reference to the mid noughties But I remember that I had the PlayStation Two game for that for uh, Zathura, but I didn't own it. It was at a time where where I used to live. There used to be a they know a DVD rental shop. One of those, but they also did video games. Yes, you could only yes. Re- but you can only rent them for about two days. So it's a complete waste of time because you can't bang through an entire game. No, of course, especially not. when you're about seven years old. You're not going to bang through an entire game in two days. So I've probably played the first few hours of the uh, PlayStation Two game of Zathura. That that is the weirdest nice. trivia. But I do remember some weird film games from the time. Like yeah. you, you you mentioned later on, and we'll, we'll come to that. You mentioned Ratatouille, and that reminds me, I was one of my mates had the PS2 game for Ratatouille, and it was, it was not that bad. Like you had to use your your. Um, if anyone's played The Witcher, they'll know that he has his Witcher sense where he can see like animal trails and blood trails. It was literally that, but it was like the rat sense of smell. Really? Yeah. So you could smell where you had to go, and then like yeah, it was all platforming. And the m- difficult mission was um, you were on a piece of cheese with a spatula, um, p- paddling along the sewers <laughs> to get from a to b and that was a really hard mission i remember that i used to have um i think i found this over the uh, christmas and i was going through some oh, some drawers somewhere in my house and it was the playstation one version of Stuart little the second one to add the bird in it <gasps> oh, oh i had the game God. boy one and the game boy one was not good <laughs> <laughs> oh but, but let's let's bring it back to film instead of going going through video games so so i've seen a, a couple here actually so you have the purge the impossible and Bird Box as three films listed here. And I think yeah. the common theme between those is that kind of... I mean, you could put them into the, the, the subgenre of, like, epic yeah. films when it comes to giant disaster or a giant mm. threat. Do you enjoy those quite a bit? Yes. I love, I love movies in general that I can kind of get into. I really like... I saw 1917 the other day, and I saw it at home as well, which is a very small movie theater. Of course. And I just, I get very into movies that are epic and that have, like, a a very emotional storyline that you can, like, mm, relate to the characters. And I just, I jump out of my seat and I scream at the TV and I, like, throw the remote everywhere if I'm at home. And I just jump in my seat and I love those type of movies. And, like, I cry and I laugh and I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> but, that, but that's that's what films are all yeah. about, though. Being able to get into a film that... The film I watched over Christmas, and the, I, I was sitting alone watching this on a computer. I was watching Crank, the Jason Statham film, <laughs> where he wakes up 
and realizes that he's been injected with a poison that will kill him um, if it, it will slow down his heart. So he realizes that he has to keep his adrenaline up and, and, and his, um, his heart rate up. So he just does all sorts of crazy stuff. Like he, he gets into altercations with the gang that, that did this to him because he's a hitman or whatever. Um, and, you know, he's like driving into oncoming traffic and he injects himself with adrenaline and then like drinks Red Bull and snorts cocaine. But there's one point where um, I, he, it's so funny. He, he saves his girlfriend. They're running through Chinatown. He starts to pass out and he's like, I need to do something. So he, to put it, to, just to put it simply, he, he says, we need to have sex right now. So they start <laughs> having sex in the middle of Chinatown. And as he's doing the deed, he, he looks around, realizes everybody's staring at him and he goes, I feel alive. I feel alive. <laughs> and he puts both his arms up in the air. And I was sitting there alone in my room and I just went, yes, <laughs> yes. And I raised my arms and smiled. And I was like, you know what? I, f- I, I I feel the exhilaration that he's feeling for some dumb reason. I had a really weird one the other day when I watched a Jojo Rabbit in the cinema, and I'm not very good at crying at films. I don't find them that bad, except music. So if you you could show me the saddest scene in the world, and I, I wouldn't be particularly moved by it. But when you put certain songs over it, and the one that got me was because I really like um, Perks Being a Wallflower, and that is how I heard Heroes for the first time. Which is and it's, it's weird as well because obviously there's a joke about that film that how is it possible for them to be like 16 and never to have heard the song Heroes before and I think I watched it when I was about 15 never heard the song before and now I'm quite <laughs> a big da- now I'm quite a big Dave Bowie fan target audience yeah <laughs> and now I'm uh, sort of yeah, quite a big Dave Bowie fan everything's fine and in Jojo Rabbit right at the end there is a um, German cover of Heroes and it just like my heart just started beating so fast and it's never happened to me before in like a film. Like it was, really? I didn't actually cry, but it was like really like got to me in a really weird way. And I sort of like just just like sitting in my seat, and just, my heart was just going really fast. It was really strange. I quite, quite, I quite enjoyed it though in a strange way. Some films just break you though. Yeah, yeah moments in films. What what films like have particularly got you? Okay, well, The Impossible, which is on the list. I started crying from like minute five, like when the tsunami yeah. hits. I I watched it at the cinema, and I remember crying from when the tsunami hits to when the movie ended, like just constant tears um what else i really enjoyed i really enjoyed little women i i cried a lot like i don't want to give out any spoilers in case nobody's seen it but i cried a lot oh yeah it was very sad um les miserables as well i really enjoyed it and it's like movie musical i didn't expect it to be as musical as it was but i like musicals so i I wasn't disappointed that film is 100% 100% musical. Yeah, it's it the is, most it's, musical I, film yeah, ever. Yeah, there's like no talk, spoken no, no lines. Spoken dialogue, no. yeah. There's like, I think, two spoken lines. And I also remember like watching it and it just, it really got to me. And then I listened to the soundtrack for like months later. And when I listen to it now, key songs, you know, like the little fall of rain when Eponine dies, um, when... Um, Cosette is like getting the water from the well and she's scared as well. Like those songs really get to me. And when Cosette's mother dies. Yes. That movie also got to me. Another thing on this list, which I feel like by bringing this up, I'm sort of partially invalidating myself from the conversation, but it's something I really want to hear more about is uh, you've written Spanish comedies. And I feel like I should just leave this to you two and just sort of back away (laughs) while you can uh, just, I don't know, um, what is, so I think for me, the first thing to know is what is so, because we had someone on a few weeks ago who talked about how good, was it Polish comedies were? I think it was specifically about, yeah, I I think 
uh, it must have been it must have been um, Matt, my housemate. Yeah, it was who Poland. Was, he was talking about Czech films. Oh, Czech, I, Czech comedy. Was yeah. it Czech comedy? It was Czech comedy, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, what is it about Spanish comedy that you find particularly sort of um, good to watch? It's really weird because I don't I don't particularly enjoy Spanish films that much, um, which is a generalization. But I feel like they all end up having the same the same storyline. But I feel like in comedy is where they deviate a little bit. It's almost always the same, like, three actors. It's kind of the same in the UK. We have ten actors in Spain, and we use all of them, like, in comedy for all the movies. And, and there's, like, one a year that's yeah, always, like, the comedy yeah. film. And yeah. I saw one, um, I don't, like, probably this summer, um, and I was with my family, and it was on TV, and it was called, I think, um, My Love or something like that, and it's about, like, a couple that gets together and they get a cat that's called my love and then they break up and the guy keeps keeps the cat but she thinks the cat's dead thing is i think she's an actress like in theater and that's kind of like where all the drama goes but it's very funny it's a very um it's a very um, how do you say it's a very simple type of humor which i really enjoy you don't need you need you don't need to think about it too much mm. And so it really gets to me. And then, like, Spanish actors in terms of comedy are pretty good, mm. I would say. We were... Yeah, there's some really good actors. See, what sets Spanish comedies aside from other um, forms of comedy, and it doesn't just set it aside, but it makes it a bit exclusionary, is the fact that um, it's very much tied to... Um, the. Spanish daily life. Yeah. You can't really translate it. There's yeah. a lot of um, uh, family humor in it. Um, yeah, there's a lot Because there are a lot of comedy films that are simply just about families. And it's like the family member's getting married or it's the funeral. Yeah. Or it's the family you meet together for Christmas or they want an intervention because whoever. Have you seen the one um, where I think it was called like the best vacation of my life where like the no. dad, the dad, like it's this child, his parents are divorced and the dad is like, oh, if you get good grades, I'm going to take you on the best vacation of your life. And the kid's like super excited because he thinks he's going to go to like the Bahamas or something. And then he just takes him to like this runny old town in the middle of Spain where there's nothing Classic. to do. And the car breaks down. And Man. I don't remember the main actor, but um, I'm pretty sure you know him. He does monologues. He speaks very quickly. White hair. Yes, 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 yes. I, I can remember his name. So, I mean, either. <laughs> but, uh, there, there's... um. But yeah, it's it's that connection to to uh, the family and the daily life, um, and it, I mean it comes down to the fact that something that influenced Spain a lot is the way the political system works. Yeah. I find <laughs> is because whereas the U.S. is literally a, a bipartisan system, so you have two parties and they are not that different from each other, mm -hmm. means that U.S. comedy around politics or any family comedy that relates to politics is all about. You're a Republican, you're a Democrat, full mm. stop. Yeah. yeah. In Spain, there were so many political parties that, sure, it does pose a problem to the politics, but that's a completely <laughs> different subject. But there are so many different political parties that if you were to go to, uh, I don't know, if you, if you were at uni and you go hang out at someone's place and they're like, yeah, let's go to this house party, you'd find that there's the stoners that um, align with like, I don't know, Podemos. And then and then you'd have the 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 edgier kids that align with um the socialist workers party then you have the posh kids that align with uh, the partido popular and that also happens in families so different yeah. members of the family align with different parties in, in politics so that becomes 
its own in joke in yeah. itself. Mm. But what you, I mean, not 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 to delve into your your family life, but I know you have a huge family. Yeah, like a very traditional Spanish family. I mean, yeah. how many siblings do you have again? I have no, we're three siblings. Three siblings, but we're like sixteen cousins. There you go. There it is. <laughs> That's the one. So you relate to these films when yeah. it's like all the cousins. This is like the one that never appears and appears after 10 years. And he's like, I finally made it to the reunion. Yeah, it's just, definitely. Just the most relatable stuff for, for families like yours, of course. And it's like one, the one scene where like all the cousins are coming in and it's just an endless line of people. And I'm like, yep, that's that's my family. That's there it. you go. <laughs> and I know this is good stuff, but moving on to the bad stuff, films you don't like. We'll stick with the with the Hispanic vibe for a minute. Uh. <laughs> you say you don't like Shape of Water. Why why is that? I don't know if it's just because I didn't understand it. In general, movies that are more artsy, I guess, they try to have a deeper message. I have a harder time understanding because they don't have a very clear storyline. I prefer my movies yeah. to have a very clear storyline, direct. Like I don't mm. So I didn't I saw it and I was very confused about what was happening i didn't understand why certain characters existed yeah. and so yeah i just well didn't really, yeah. del toro's films are to get film nerd on you he <laughs> del toro's films have multiple interpretations but he places imagery and characters that are very much um have one meaning that you can attribute to it throughout the whole film mm. um and on a surface level, what I really enjoyed about The Shape of Water was that, sure, it, it's about a woman that wants to bang a fish man. Like, <laughs> to an extent. To an extent. <laughs> but it, it, it really is about how the purest expression of love um, can overcome anything. That's the, the message behind it. Yeah, I think it is quite a, sort of, a transcendental message in the sense that she is mute and so is this fish creature and the fact that they share that one even though they have absolutely nothing else in common remotely mm. it's the fact that all you have to do is share one thing with someone else and that can be the spark that can sort of obviously lead to well love arguably in love this sense absolutely. yeah very true i didn't think about it that yeah way. so so it, watching it in that light i mean shape of water i watched it and i was like yeah i mean i'm gonna see it's been nominated for best picture or whatever at the yeah. time and uh, yeah, I just cried. By the end of it. I was just crying. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it stylistically as well. I thought yes. that the way it worked with um, sort of it was quite an, it was quite kind of like a noir, really, because you had sort of very a, much the, a noir. The yeah. Hugo Weaving's character is sort of like that kind of uh, what's agent who was just very shifty throughout the whole film, and the sort of when it really breaks down and she has to try and get him out of the facility. That bit I actually really enjoyed. And also the visuals in the film. Like the bit in the um, bathroom when the room fills up with water, that really was stunning. Like yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. the visuals of that film. And the the one thing I'll highlight about the visuals um, is that I really like Del Toro's set design. Mm. Mm. So he really works closely with his set designs to bring his vision to life. And one of the things that, one of the qualities that stands out to me is that everything, every set has almost like a shine to it. Almost like a dreamlike quality. And that just, I don't know, it just makes his films instantly recognizable. You see a, a shot, like not even a, a scene, just an image from a Del Toro film, and you're like, this is yeah, Del Toro. Definitely, definitely, I would agree on that. Yeah, so we, we, we've swayed your opinion on that. <laughs> but but take, take I'll it. rewatch it now with that, like, new perspective. There you go. But to take it go. from something that me and Tobias may perhaps slightly disagree with you on, to something that I am very much in, in the same boat as you with, is on this list you have No Country for Old Men. And I do not hide the fact that I really don't like the Coen brothers that much. I think they are probably two of the most overrated filmmakers 
of all time, perhaps. Oh, harsh. I don't I, know if I've seen any other movie from them. I just know that we saw it and we were like, oh, this is, you know, best picture film. Mm. It's got Javier Bardem. Let's give it a shot. And it was a similar feeling to when I was watching The Shape of Water. I was watching it and I was like, what is this film? Like, what? Like, how did this win best picture? Like, I don't understand what is happening. It was just very, like, there. And I was like, Okay, if you, if you say so. Yeah, I think that was my issue with it as well. I think uh, I felt very surface level for me. And obviously, like, where, obviously whether whether uh, it's done, it was filmed um, somewhere in the border of Mexico. And the visuals of it were absolutely stunning. I did genuinely mm. enjoy that bit. But I think the story itself, and I think maybe that's my issue with quite a lot of the Coen Brothers films. I don't mind Fargo that much. Fargo, I love I, Fargo. Fargo, I can watch. The Big Lebowski, I I despise. It's probably one of the worst films I've ever seen. And as well, this, I, I liked Javier Bardem as the... He was really good in it. I, I, I yeah. like Josh Brolin as an actor. Mm. I just felt like it didn't... I just don't understand how it won Best Picture. I don't think... I think there are certain elements of it that I really enjoyed, but when you put it all together, I just couldn't get into it in that sense. So, the thread of Toby likes films and explains why he likes them <laughs> <laughs> continues. And so, No Country for Old Men, I... So, I read the book before I watched the film. Mm. Um, someone recommended the book to me, and I, I picked it up. And one of the things that instantly jumps out to you about the book is that um, Cormac McCarthy, the author, he he has a really strange flow in his writing. He'll have sentences that run for a whole paragraph or paragraphs that are sent, like couple word sentences. So like literally verb. And so, so he picked up the gun, full stop. He loaded it, full stop. Like stuff like that. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to kind of get lost when you read it when you, when you read stuff like you have to kind of slow down mm-hmm. and i love the book i loved it i thought it was brilliant once i once i fell into the flow of his storytelling i i realized what what he was trying to do and yeah and i thought it was just like a really brutal tale and i was then thinking how can this be translated to film because i know the film is well loved and i watched the film and i i really liked it but the two things that i i noticed of it were one it's 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 a modern western mm. It's, it's literally a modern western the, the the gunslinger steals some loot or takes you know whatever he believes to be his and runs mm. and has to fight <laughs> off an adversary that's the film the other thing um that makes more sense if you look at more films in a similar style is that no country for old men is a film that can only exist in the current um, way of understanding films. Mm. So you couldn't have made No Country for Old Men in the 80s or in the 90s because we've reached this understanding of stories don't have to be introduced to the character. The character grows. The character falls. The character picks himself back up. The character wins. Mm. That is the basic character arc. Whereas films like, say, the Safdie Brothers film, so Uncut Gems, did you did you get around to seeing that? No, I didn't. So Uncut Gems or um, Good Time do this, where they kind of, they pick a slice. So Slice of Life is usually reserved for comedies, but I think it, it applies to other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a slice of a anti-hero's life, mm-hmm. where you are thrown into a situation that they are thrown into, and it doesn't end, it doesn't end nicely for them. Mm-hmm. And you just, you're along for the ride. Yeah. So that's what I feel is impactful about No Country for Old Men. But the point of it isn't that it's a whole character arc. The point is that it's this mad mission that this guy goes on over what two days the film yeah. takes place over two days right yeah. yeah so it takes him two days to do all this stuff and you're along for the ride and that's it 
what I would raise you in terms of uh, sort of neo-westerns is have you ever seen uh, Hell or High Water? I have not seen Hello High Water. Hello, I really he- have to. Hello High Water is fantastic. I watched that the day after I watched No Country for Old Men, and I preferred it almost infinitely. And also the one the director did afterwards, which is really weird because it's sort of like so. Basically, he did he did Hello High Water, and that two years later he did a film called Wind River, okay. which has Elizabeth Olsen and um, Jeremy Renner in, mm-hmm. and it's literally he's taken all the the thematic elements of the western he made and then taken it to like Alaska and put it in the snow. And it's a, oh, that's cool. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. And it's it was on, I think it was on Film 4 last night because I was flicking the channels and saw it. Oh, really? It. But yeah, it's, um, so it might be on um, all four actually at some point. But yeah, it's a, uh, Hell or High Water is definitely worth a watch and Wind River is also pretty good. Oh, well then I will note those. Mm. Onto the list. So, yeah, on, onto, onto mm-hmm. my letterboxed list of growing <laughs> films I need to watch. But something else on the list here that yes. you've, you've apologised for something that I wouldn't have apologised for. <laughs> so um, you apologised for um, saying one of your least favourite films is Star Wars, mm-hmm. and we did cover that last week, didn't we? Talking about Star Wars and yeah. how we did, weren't. And I think I don't know what it is about Star Wars now that people are less enthused about, and I think it might be a generational thing because yeah, that's what I was going to say. What was the first Star Wars film you've ever seen? You ever saw? I don't know the numbers. I was very little. Um, I got a little bit traumatized. It was the one with um, Jabba the Hutt. Oh, and so it was like Return of the Jedi or something. I think I don't. Yeah, know, so I like don't know the names. Five, right? uh, I just know Leia was pr- was a prisoner, and I was very traumatized. We were watching it on like a car ride. Yeah, that's the, that's the last. That's the third, sixth one. It's the last yes. one in the original trilogy. Yeah. Mm. And I do think I rewatch. I remember when like, I think episode six was going to come out and. Mm. In my like in my household, it was Star Wars every day. Like we went to my oh. grandma's house, and Star Wars were, blah, blah, blah. Star Wars was on all the time. There was nothing else on, and I did like rewatch a few of them, and they're not like I don't hate hate them, but they just don't really speak to me that much. And I watched the new one, and it was just. I mean, I think the new one as well because I discussed it with my cousins, and they're like freak fans, and. They also didn't like it, and they thought the same things as me. Like, the battle scenes were too long. Um, There was a romance there that kind of appeared out of nowhere. Uh, I didn't didn't see it, but I know what what you mean by it. Okay. I don't want to spoil too much then, sorry. Yeah, but Um, I mean, that's enough for anyone who who has seen it. Yeah, but... Know what you mean. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, and it's kind of like that for all the movies, though I think the original movies are a bit quicker in pace. I can't get behind the new ones at all. I tried to watch, um, what was the first one that when it came back with J.J. Abrams? Uh, the For- Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I tried to watch that, couldn't make it through it. I used to love the original trilogy. I had them on VCR. I got a car boot sale once, and I used to absolutely rinse watching them. Yeah, my brother loves them. I um, don't mind uh, the yeah Phantom Menace. I was one of the first, probably that might be the first one I watched. And at the time, I didn't realize how bad it was until I realized years later. Uh, Attack of the Clones is just boring, and um, what's the other one? Oh, I've actually, don't, I never, I've never minded Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith is probably my favourite one out of the original right. three. I don't mind it. Yeah. See, yeah, the new one. So when I saw Force Awakens, um, I saw it with a friend of mine who's a super fan of of Star Wars. So he he bought me a ticket. We went to not the midnight showing, but basically the first day showing, yeah. and I thought it was okay, but it was literally just episode four again mm. the same oh you have a power oh you need to use it but yeah. it wasn't actually done properly mm. i felt i don't know there's something so 
iconic about the old films, which is, as you were saying, the generational thing. Um, yeah, it, 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 episode four is a film like none before it. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is groundbreaking. Mm. But we've just seen, we've seen it all now. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a bit of a, you know, a bit, a bit of a shame, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that tale of sort of space opera has been done to absolute death at this point. Yeah. And I think I think the point the, the nail in the coffin for anything like that though is um, the uh, parody film Spaceballs. Yeah, like it, once you start parodying a genre, we've, we've talked about this at length with horror. I don't think we need to go into it again, but it was like when Scream first came out, when they started parodying horror, horror did become ridiculous. And yeah. I think that same is thing is true for uh, the sort of space opera genre. Yeah, I and it had to like resurge. I mean, yeah. that, that's what I was thinking when I when I gave the. Uh, epic films that title yeah. it, there, there is epic movie which mm. is terrible but it, yeah it is again as you were saying parody of genre yeah. but it's interesting how you have this cycle of, of um how, how film trends come in cycles but they also have the cycle being ended by the parody yeah, yeah. as disaster films of the 70s and 80s were ended by stuff like um airplane mm. and and yeah airplane's oh. brilliant um <laughs> Other stuff was um um, then it you know resurged the end. You had stuff like The Impossible, but then of course Epic Movie came out and was like just stop it. Yeah. Mm. But then now again you have a couple films of of grand scale. The one I saw this weekend was um Snowpiercer, and Snowpiercer is short. Like it, it's it's a mix of different genres, but yeah, overall it's still a giant event set, giant world shifting event that yeah. sets this off. Yeah. Another thing I'm sort of looking at your list here, I think you're the first person to include three best picture winners in your least favorite films. And the one I'm particularly interested in is what did you not specifically like about Argo? Because I really like that film. I fell asleep in the cinema. I'm so sorry. I went, we went to watch in the cinema. I, was, I wasn't really sure what I was getting myself into. I went with my family. We were just going to the movies. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to whatever. I love the movies. I, I felt it was way too long for... Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was way too long. I fell asleep really? a little bit. I fell bit. asleep yeah. on the sofa watching it. It was just boring. I'm so... But to be fair, I am an... I'm awful for... All you have to do... I mean, it's pathetic to, to admit, but, like, all you have to do is slap true... Based on a true story on something. <laughs> and suddenly I'm like, yes, yes. Yes. I cannot wait to watch this. Oh, it, see, it's just... I, I can't stand Ben Affleck. That was the main thing I didn't like. Mm. I just, yeah. I just don't like Ben Affleck. Yeah. And I just... I, I know being drawn into a film the suspension of disbelief is partially on you as the viewer to kind of be like no i'm gonna go along with this Mm. but ben affleck makes it very hard for me to get into it like there's something about the way he acts that Mm. it's kind of how i feel about um adam driver that watching marriage story was the same as watching star wars he was playing the same character to me and that's how i feel about ben affleck that it's just kind of he he plays the same character all the time he's just yeah. not because of typecasting but he just can't act in my opinion i've just sorry <laughs> i've just had a very weird mental image when you said that of kylo ren actually being in the char- looking like the same character in marriage story somehow going through a marriage breakup with scarlett johansson which is a very very strange mental image that i'm stru- currently struggling to get rid of <laughs> it doesn't my change mind. the film though no that's fair <laughs> it's, it's very fair and so the other um well we've done other best picture winners. the other one's uh, the one we've talked at length about on the podcast about how much we all like with, we talked about it with your brother was dunkirk yes i know and it's such a sh- like after watching 1917 i kind of want to rewatch mm. dunkirk and like mm. give it another shot but yeah i don't like i started watching it and it was just very slow for me and 
like I stopped it. And I was like, we're gonna watch something else, guys. I'm, no, I'm, like, we're so, all so bored. We're it? all bored. Yeah, we were all bored. We were but all talking that's over the it. The point of Dunkirk, it ramps up to the end. So <sighs> the beginning is you know bit by bit by bit, and then by the end of it, it's all coming together. Yeah, and I really want to. I want to rewatch it because I was scared with 1917 that kind of a similar thing would happen. Mm-hmm. But I was pleasantly surprised. I was like into it since the beginning. But yeah, after that, I want to give it another shot. To be fair, for a film that is we'll only just—it's only just over ninety minutes long. So it's not that long, is it? It's, it's, it's yeah. I think it's definitely. I think it's less than two hours long. What's this? Uh, Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, d- I don't know how long Dunkirk is. I know nineteen seventeen. I know for a fact it's one hundred and nineteen minutes yeah. long. that's cool. I remember. I remember that's thinking pretty... that was two hours. I, was like, I looked it up as mm. soon as I was leaving the cinema. I was like, yeah, one nineteen, very close. But yeah, Dunkirk. Similar length, right? I'm, I think I'm pretty sure it's, it's slightly shorter. To be fair, I'm trying to look up my phone now. But I think yeah, it, for for a film that is relatively short, it does. It's one hour forty six. One forty six. I think okay. it was, yeah. It's, other than Memento, it is the shortest Christopher Nolan film he's ever made. And I think for a film that is that short, it is a very slow burn at the beginning. But it really does like in the la- in the sort of last act, third act, it really does ramp up into something that is quite something you have to sort of see. And the, also the way it plays around with the timings mm. that is also mm. something that. At first, like really confused me, but when I kind of got my head around that bit, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is actually yeah. really good." See, maybe was it the fact that it was a war? What do you think about war films in general? Because I know some people I love them, some people hate them. I don't mind them. Like I watched War Horse and I loved it. Um, I guess it just depends. I don't know. I think maybe it wasn't also like it just. I wrote it down because it stood out to me how everyone loved it, and I just didn't really get it, and so I had to like I was bored. That's fair. That that's kind of like why I wrote it, but I have nothing against like war films. I enjoy them. But but that's fair. When when a film doesn't click with you on the first watch, yeah. it, it's understandable. That's how I felt when I first watched Drive, which is now one of my favorite films of all time, because I was in my final years of school. I was very busy with my studies, so I didn't really have either the time or energy to watch a film and like sit down and go, "Okay, I'm going to let this film carry me away." I just didn't. I barely watched films. I barely read books at that mm. time. Um, and yeah, that's how I felt about Drive. I was like, why, 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 why is this setting kind of strange? I don't really get the pacing. Same how I felt with with It Follows. I was like, this is just, it's just not doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And then when I gave it another shot, when I was in a mindset for, yeah, I want to discover something new, it completely blew me away. And I was like, this is brilliant. So may- maybe giving Dunkirk another another shot might click for you because I, I j- some films I'm like, you know what, if you don't like it, that's fine. But with Dunkirk, I think like genuinely it's, yeah. it's very hard to dislike, if, especially if you don't dislike the genre. I'll I, give it another shot. I think you also touched on a very interesting concept there that I've never perhaps thought of before, which is um, the fact that you said because you didn't really like it that much and it was so critically acclaimed, it made it stick in your mind. I think that probably is something that's worth exploring more, yeah. sort of generally, in the sense that, if, especially with like best picture and stuff like how, I, I don't know I, as I said before I don't understand how No Country World made one best picture and I think the visceral reaction I have to it is because it is so critically acclaimed same with The Big Lebowski mm-hmm. like I don't to be fair I, I, I do go on about it quite a lot how much I don't like it and I, I genuinely don't <laughs> but I feel like the fact everyone else tells me whenever you tell anyone that oh, oh no, it's so good it's one of their best films I, I'd like the fact that everyone says how good it is is almost like not insulting to me but it makes me feel strongly more stronger about disliking the film it's the the peer pressure it's the peer pressure of liking you're like no i don't want to fall to this peer pressure is that what gets you not too much um it just it kind of it's not that it gets me but i i do watch like best pictures because i'm curious to see like why because most of the time 
when a movie wins Best Picture, I haven't watched it. Yeah, um, so I'm very curious. Be, yeah. I'm very curious to see, like, ooh, what's this movie? Why is it, like, Best Picture? Why do people like it? And it's not, like, if I don't like it, it's not like, oh, it's just, everyone loves it and now I'm going to hate it. Like, I don't know. It just it made it stick because, like, not even just the fact that it was Best Picture, but people around me had said, like, my mom, friends, like, oh, yeah, Dunkirk's very good. And I was like, oh, and then, oh, Harry Styles is in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go for it. I think Harry Styles actually does a pretty good job in that film. Yeah? I think he does I really too, enjoyed actually. it. Yeah. He's just, there was nothing wrong with his performance, I felt. To be fair, his screen time isn't huge. No. Because he's part of of all the storylines that you're following in Dunkirk. Because he's part of, for people who haven't seen the film, um, he is part of a squad of soldiers. Mm. So, well, the whole army of soldiers mm. that are on the beach, but then, you know, then forms into a little squad. So the, his screen time is split. Whereas someone like, say, Tom Hardy, it's just Tom Hardy in a plane yeah. doing his thing with his eyebrows. I think one thing to say about what I said before that I would perhaps qualify having listened to what you just said was there is also an argument there for when when you have that kind of visceral opinion about something because something's so liked there is also the need to always sort of take into account what other people say about it and I was I'm willing to I would give The Big Lebowski another chance because there is always the danger of doing that thing that I really hate when people do like opinion pieces of really contra contra well they just are contrary for yeah. the sake of doing it just True. to be like oh yeah well you know this film's loved by everyone I hate it because and you just sort of there is definitely an argument that you, you it can become a very disingenuous thing where you deliberately overlook the good side of it just to take that sort of contrarian opinion yeah. and I hope I haven't done that with The Big Lebowski but I will watch it and get back to you Go for it. And there's one thing I really want to talk about, and I know this doesn't really entirely relate to film, but I think the story it tells is grand enough. You know what's going. going. I know it's going down. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, we do delve into TV every now and then, Avatar The Last Airbender. Get it. Get it. So, Philad, when we um, uh, met up a couple of months ago to hang out, you told me that I had to, had to, had to watch Avatar. So, uh, Becca and I got round to watching it. Uh, yeah, about a month and a bit ago, we started it, and I'm genuinely, so the storyline, I like, the, and and the the show as a whole, I feel it stands toe to toe with stuff like True Detective, mm. like genuinely such a moving and well made show. Yeah. So why definitely. do you love it so much? Ah, uh, I knew I wanted to rewatch it because it's this like. It's a kid's show. It's a thing I watched on Nickelodeon when I was little, and I'd watch certain episodes here and there. And there's, there's never an order. There's never an order. Like, you can watch them out of order up until, like, the very end, then you do need to yeah, watch them, like, religiously. But one of the... I don't know why. Me and my siblings, like, one of the scenes that always stuck with us was the big mushroom scene, and there's, like, this big explosion. Yes. And one of the characters is drugged up, and he just goes, Oh, it's a giant mushroom! And it really stuck with us. And... One day, I saw that the show was on Netflix, and I was like, I want to give it a try, because I've done that with, like, Spongebob and, like, other shows. But this one, like, once you start, like, when you look at it through a more, like, mature mindset, I guess you could say, you really see that the characters actually go through a giant, like, development. They have a really good and cool arc. They don't always agree with each other, but then they make this cool team and they it's an epic story about this kid that needs to learn how to bend everything to defeat this very scary like fire lord that just wants to literally burn everything to the ground. And it's it's so epic. It's so epic. It blows my mind how it can also be a kid's show. 
Yeah, it, it, it's that epic scale of it, which I, I genuinely, yeah, I, I don't use the word epic to describe things, especially in the age of epic being correlated to stuff like Ben Shapiro epically <laughs> destroys <laughs> liberals. But genuinely, uh, Avatar is, is, is of an epic scale. The story, because the story is that the, this kid, the little bald kid with an arrow in his head, Ang, is the Avatar. And essentially, it's a world where there are four factions of bending, which is where you can manipulate a certain element and it's fire earth um air and water air and water and it, you know they i mean just to simplify they're essentially like wizards of their own spell but you can't master another element and not everyone can actually manipulate the elements it's kind yeah. of like a genetic thing and he is the only earthbender left except they everyone airbender. thought airbender sorry airbender left and they thought he was dead because he was he he encapsulated himself in a ball of ice under the under the ocean because he had to protect himself and um yeah a hundred years went by and he's like resuscitated essentially and he's his, and, yeah, and he has to master all the other elements because his role is to stop the fire lord who is going to use um a meteorite to amplify his powers and yeah. burn literally the whole earth i mean literally. it's like it's a, a scale of mass destruction of the earth mm-hmm. but what makes it so impactful i think is the and we, we've spoken about this before in the podcast. What makes a story impactful is the small scale of it. Mm. It's the personal scale of it. No one, like, not many people on this earth can relate about having done something that completely saved the planet. Yeah, that's true. But everyone can relate to making friends and mm. losing friends and growing as a person and trying to better yourself. And that's what Avatar is all about at its core. I must confess that I think I probably only watched a couple episodes when I was a kid, and I don't think I ever really got into it. You should really give you it really a go. Need, yeah, yeah, you have. I, I've been listening, thinking I really should give that a chance, and I probably will at some point. It's if really I worth it. it. And what I like about it as well, well, I know there's like a spin-off series called Legend of Korra, but then one thing that I think nowadays is very, very rare is when something ends yeah like it ends and it ends and that's it and the fire lord doesn't have any fire anymore and like yeah ang and like his friends are all happy and they created a new world and they yeah. restored balance to the elements and they did all this all these things and that's it that's their story and then um no oh yeah that's it that's all but, but well that, that's true knowing when to end something when is, to stop is, is, is making important. seasons so the thing with with the legend of Korra is that even though you could maybe think, oh, why did they do this? It actually, if you if you were really into the world building of the first show and you wanted to know more, it actually really does service that. It gives mm. you, um, a, in one episode, it explains the lineage of the Avatar and how the Avatar came to be. Um, the characters um, in the films, uh, in, in the show, sorry. So the guy who's coaching um, uh, Korra, the Avatar, is one of the few airbenders left except he has little airbender kids and his name is Tenzin and he's played by J.K. Simmons so yeah he, he's essentially wants pictures of Spider-Man yeah. and um, he is Aang's grandson hmm. and it's basically in a world where they were all essentially warring factions it's now become a highly politicized world where Republic cities where all the um, all the different types of benders live together and work together and there is, you know, I mean, sure, issues arise, but there is no um, hate between the factions mm. because they're all living together, as I said. And and you're seeing the impact of, of these characters. So you, 
because you you see the characters as kids slash teenagers in the last airbender in the legend of Korra, you're starting to learn how they were as adults because they they've passed away some of them passed away in between um the se- the, the shows mm. and you learn that yeah they were flawed people with who brought up kids and didn't you know exactly yeah. make it's perfect parents definitely something that you also see in the last airbender is that they're flawed is yeah. that Aang can be arrogant and like the air like the being the avatar thing can get to his head because he's a kid Sokka is like a sexist person that doesn't really um have much appreciation for like women actually being fighters and no. like you see all of that develop as well how like i, I just i really like Sokka's like character development and particularly because he goes from being like this kid that's just very rude very sexist very like ah you girls all go need to like sew my pants or whatever and then he just completely turns around and he becomes a lot more humble and he becomes a lot more understanding and it's it's literally amazing it's it's a fantastic show yeah i think i would definitely have to check it out now you you should watch it 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 has because this is called film and friends there is an avatar the last airbender film have you guys seen it it's it's by possibly <laughs> one of my least favorite filmmakers of all time. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan. Nice. Is it Shyamalan or Shalaman? Uh, I think it's Shyamalan. M. Night. You've you've you confused me now. M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I think so. My my brother and I go. Oh, it's that Shyamalan ding dong. Yeah. Right like, yeah, we know who we're talking about. M. Night. M. Night. Yeah. yeah M. Night. It's because I know. My brother told me like. Don't watch it. You re- you're really not gonna like it. And I wasn't going to. And then I was very curious. And I was like, I want to know why there's so much hatred. And now I understand. It took me three days to watch one movie. What the Watchmen film did to the comic, that Avatar film did to the TV show. I swear. But talking about knowing when things end, we um have to bring this episode to a close, unfortunately. Oh. With a very timely transition. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm very proud of my transitions <laughs> at this point. Um. But yes, Vilar, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having We've me. We've had a wonderful chat. Yeah. And is there anything you would like to plug? Is, is there any projects you have coming on that you want to, um, you want people to be aware of? Um, not at the moment, no. Maybe a little bit in the future on, like, not my Instagram, but a second account that I'm planning maybe to uh, open up about film photography, which oh, you introduced yes, me to. Oh, of course, of course. Mr. Tobias. Um, so follow me on my actual Instagram, which is at P and then Cass with a K, uh, 125. And then once I get everything sorted, I will start that. Fantastic. <laughs> so right before we end it, things are coming up in Manchester. Because of the Spanish theme, you've reminded me, the Viva um, Latin American and Spanish festival is coming to manchester as it does every year and home is going to be showing all sorts of films from spain and latin america mm-hmm. i don't know the lineup yet i just got an email about it as we were recording mm-hmm. but check that out viva it's a fantastic festival went last year so spanish culture in manchester yes you, you better you better get to it better go i also it. went last year and it was fantastic uh, you can find me on twitter at josh sandy and on instagram and letterboxd at josh w sandy you can find me on all social media including letterboxd at tobias Soar. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. See you all soon.